0: Welcome to the Friday edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 694.
1: I'm Kevin Coulson. I'm George Conger. Today is October 22, 2021.
0: All right, welcome to another episode of Anglican Unscripted. Where you sit down and you listen to two guys talk about all things Anglican, most things Christian, and something secular. We ask only one favor of you—well, two favors. When we make a joke, laugh, ha 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 ha. But also, if you get a chance, click. Don't no, not if you get a chance, please click the like button on YouTube or Facebook. It's free advertising for George and I, and it's something that you—I—I I, I want to give the money. No. Don't give us money. Well, sometime we're going to ask for money. But give us likes. It's a great way to get this episode more popular, I hope. Please share this episode with friends, family, and foe. I'm seeing more and more shares on Twitter and Facebook. I appreciate that very much. Go to the comment section. That's where the show continues. Uh, Every day, every show, when I click publish, it goes off to the, the vast universe of YouTube and spins around up there. And it doesn't stop. It's still a live show for you to click like and go to the comment section. Subscribe if you're not subscribed. And if you want, you can listen to us in podcast only format. Let's see, I covered the basics there, George. George, how are you doing this week?
1: Worrying, worrying. <laughs> My daughter, the, the nurse, um, she, she's a travel nurse where she takes six month to year long contracts because she loves to travel, loves to go abroad well she's been really itchy for the past two years because of covid restrictions and she told me last night daddy I just got my visa to visit India. I'm going for six weeks to visit my college friends and so I am going to start losing hair and gaining weight and drinking heavily until she's home so you know traveling is going
0: to Daytona Beach not to India.
1: Kolkata uh, Mumbai she said she's uh, very uh, with it she uses the modern names of instead of Calcutta Kolkata yeah. instead of Bombay Mumbai so i have to say what where who uh, so, oh my but it's exci- it's exciting to be young and uh, india's opened up again and she's going to visit college friends in each of these towns and how wonderful great young unattached with money in the bank
0: money in the bank uh people want to know where i am this week uh we're in tennessee we've left kentucky behind and uh currently we are i'll pull in here uh in knoxville it's that little blue dot at the bottom yay which is uh, east of nashville and i think uh, today we're going to go down and visit pigeon forge And uh, the Dollywood area would be a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, we're still traveling. We're heading back your way. I see you're dressed in your
1: wool, wool, George. Yes, I have wool, gray wool slacks and a a wool blazer. Because it was 65 degrees this morning when I woke up and got dressed. Now, get up to the high 70s, but uh, it's freezing here in Florida. We were in the middle of a, a cold snap.
0: Poor George.
1: <laughs> There's no humidity. There's bright sunshine, and it's 72 degrees. It's, it. I don't know how I'm going to bear it.
0: No, my uh, neighbors down in Florida are, are posting uh, sunset pics on Facebook, and, it's, and I'm very envious, uh, looking forward to my my sunsets. Let's move over to the news. I'm going to pull up our show notes. Um, good news story. It's not often the Church of England synod makes the good news story but they do uh there was a poll taken after the latest general senate election as to what do people think of the hot topic issues this is kind of put together by our uh friend peter old and made into a story by St- uh, stanford uh,
1: john Sandeman, uh john Sandeman uh, from maternity news in australia
0: and said listen the next five years you're not going to see a, a big change in the sexual politics of the Church of England. Cool George, what's the story there?
1: Well last week we, we uh, stated that uh, some new members of General Synod, young people for us, young people in their 40s who are elected for the first time said um, the Synod is going to have a more conservative cast because the younger people are more conservative than the old farts like Kevin and myself. And Peter Old did a deep dive into the numbers, and it's true, there's a block of about 40% who hold to orthodox views, traditional views on uh, marriage and human sexuality. And then there's a block of in equal, well, equal sized, uh, who are liberals, progressives, and then there's the middle model of about 20%. Well, to change the canons on marriage and like things requires a two-thirds vote so right now there's no way if the conservative bloc holds together and doesn't fracture between evangelicals and anglo-catholics as they did over women bishops that you'll see the passage of same-sex marriage blessings or same-sex same-gender marriage same-gender marriage same-gender same-gender, uh, same-gender blessings or things like that mm-hmm. um, Now, so
0: yeah it's gonna say <clears throat> I've seen other provinces not change their laws But change their conduct.
1: Yes, we saw that most specifically in the Anglican Church of Canada where they basically ignored the bishops and the gay lobby ignored the rules and ignored the votes and just said well we're going to do what we're going to do and try to stop us Mm -hmm. because we can interpret things the way we see fit.
0: You know it's like it's going to happen anyway what are you going to do about it and I would hope that the Church of England you know the the mothership of the Anglican communion is a little more mature
1: than that, but I'm not well, hoping that a lot. Well, the uh, Church of England is in an, is in an odd position. One of the things that Justin Welby has done is the Welbyization of the College of Bishops, the House of Bishops, where they've he's tried to homogenize and pasteurize it, and make it wholesome and bland, so that you don't have standouts on either side, either for or against any issue. Mm-hmm. The bishops all seem to be about one thing, which is keeping their heads down and their mouths shut. The, the mantra of Justin Welby and his establishment is collegiality and unity. Now, that may be good for the short term, but it doesn't thresh out and resolve these issues. It just kicks it the can farther down the road. Meanwhile, attendance and the vitality of the Church of England is in a free fall and welby's response is to tell people to be quiet and not get involved in these things so it's it's good it's good that there's a blocking force that will prevent legal changes within the canons of the church of england it's bad that the character of the college of bishops house of bishops is so mediocre that you won't really have people explaining why we're doing what we're doing and have it have any teeth or interest.
0: Yeah. All right, well, We'll have to see, but th- this is, I just wanted to be sure that we added the Church of England Synod into our Good News section, because sometimes we tease them a lot because they're, they're always the follow up to Good News. This week, they are the Good News.
1: Well, there's a, a problem of having an ideology of a safe pair of hands leaders are people who are have a safe pair of hands who can basically sort of they don't really believe anything so therefore they're acceptable to both people who hold opposing viewpoints right. on issues. Um, that may preserve the institution for the institution's sake but it destroys the truth and the truth is the casualty in this way of running a church. Yep, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, we call it the, the messy middle you know,
0: and it, it is indeed messy. Uh, on to our next story. Um, believe it or not, there's a canon in the Episcopal Church that says, we're not going to sue you. You can't sue us. We, lawsuits are not part of our ethos. There's a the Dennis canon. The Dennis canon is more famous because Dennis canon says, we own you. But there's another canon that says, no suing. Because sometimes you lose in court and that's what happened to the episcopal church in texas they wanted to fight for their properties that were going over to the anglican uh, diocese and it was fought out in the courts it was uh in, in tri- typical episcopal church fashion they never wanted their day in court they kept you know making sure that uh, uh they were using jurisprudence on paper instead of sitting in front of a trial but eventually it went to many different appeals and ended up in the state supreme court and the texas supreme court said the state is a state of neutral principles and if this uh acna uh i'm not the acna but if these churches want to go to the acna they're welcome to do so if they want to join an acna diocese they're welcome to do so because neutral principles means That corporation, that organization owns that property and they can do what they want with it. It's not held in trust of the Episcopal Church. Boom. For once we hear something certain from a state Supreme Court. Uh, It was appealed to the um, U.S. Supreme Court and they didn't want to hear it at all. And so that was law. This property belongs to the Diocese of the ACNA. The anglican diocese of dallas of fort worth you and i george would think good it's all done it's finished all right end of story they'll leave their uh, churches and or they'll stay if they want to be members of the cna uh anglican diocese of fort worth or not but that's the end of the story i got a press release from our good friend susan gill communications officer from the diocese of fort worth who says wait a minute you're not going to believe this before the judge all saints church was it all saints
1: all saints church
0: has filed bankruptcy rather than turn over their assets to the Anglican diocese of fort worth
1: on wednesday (laughs) On Wednesday there was to be a hearing at the 141st Judicial District Court for Tarrant County in Texas where the ACNA-related diocese was going to make formal requests for an order compelling All Saints Episcopal Church in Fort Worth to turn over its assets and funds to the ACNA diocese because all the litigation is concluded all the appeals have been exhausted there's no further avenue for the Episcopal Church loyalists to pursue. Unbeknownst to everybody on Monday the vestry of All Saints authorized its rector to file a petition in bankruptcy for the All Saints Episcopal Church Corporation the corporate entity and that bankruptcy petition was filed and an automatic stay was entered by the Bankruptcy Court on any proceedings against the assets of the corporation, All Saints Episcopal Church, which is standard practice in the U.S. Bankruptcy Court. Here's the problem. Throughout all the litigation in the states and federal courts, it was All Saints Episcopal Church, the unincorporated congregation that was suing and and lost. Mm -hmm. and this was the entity that claimed to have the assets Mm -hmm. that it was trying to protect from the, Fort Acne Diocese. Well, surprise, surprise, on Wednesday, the assets now appeared to be in the corporation. So my guess is that there was a transfer of assets sometime from the corporation, from the unincorporated church to the corporation and the corporation, which has not been really a party to the lawsuits that I'm aware of, is now trying to sort of sneak away with the assets via bankruptcy court. Now, people do this sort of thing, file for bankruptcy just as the sheriff is about to start a sheriff sale in your house. And they do it out of desperation to get 90 days before the court dismisses the case uh, to give it time or to basically work out a negotiations and whatnot. Now, the Episcopal Church nationally has refused to negotiate with the ACNA Fort Worth Diocese from the very beginning, and it still refuses to do so. So I can't see them getting anything by having another 90 days or so. But it's most like. but...
0: Well, I, I, but you're, you're, you've introduced something different here. Did they create a shell
1: organization to transfer all the assets? Well, the Shell organization was already there okay. because the vestry are also the trustees of the corporation. But I'm thinking I'm thinking this was a fraudulent conveyance mm-hmm. uh, without any knowledge of the deep situation, but it just smells to high heaven. Either it was the desperate act of silly people who just won another 90 days and spend a few thousand more dollars on legal fees, or there's something sneaky going on uh, where assets are being shifted away uh, from the uh, original uh, owner to uh, a new no, person, I mean, a straw. I would think that that's it. more likely
0: um, that before the, the court case was decided that they created some protection, which you know in, you're legally able to do, whether or not it's a good policy to do is uh, certainly not up to debate. Uh, it's not a good policy but in this case i'm just wondering if they created this to hide the assets and take a lot longer but the reality here is there's a reason there's a canon not followed by anybody in the fiscal church that says you don't settle your matters in court and uh, you know sometimes you lose and you've lost and Instead of doing the honorable thing, the biblical thing, the Christian thing and saying, okay, I lost, I'm honoring the courts here of America and the, and the, the state of Texas and handing over the assets, you have embarrassed the church, you have embarrassed the Episcopal church, the Anglican communion, um, the state of Texas, you've you embarrassed the, the Christian witness That your church has set forth for a hundred years by hiding money and saying no the laws don't apply to us.
1: Well there's several ways forward the Fort Worth Act of Fort Worth attorneys have filed a written a letter to the judge in Tarrant County saying pointing out these discrepancies between the unincorporated and the incorporated and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth my guess, and and saying, let's just go ahead with the hearings and direct the, the bank, holding the money, and the sheriff to give us the property. My guess is that the there were no schedules filed that I was able to find on the on the online uh, database uh, at the bank at the Northern District of Texas. There were no schedules of assets or liabilities. They need to be fired within a set number of days. If they're not fired, then the Filed, then the case is automatically dismissed. If they do file them and they list all these things, then the uh, in bankruptcy court, the attorneys for the ACNA diocese will have to will issue an argument saying this is a fraudulent conveyance or it was done in bad faith, so on and so forth. Either way, it's going to buy them time because it basically gives the the courts are so clogged and backed up. If a judge Can kick something upstairs or across the street to the bankruptcy court they usually do it because they don't want to have a fight over jurisdiction uh, unless it's so blatantly fake that you know they can with confidence dismiss something but here with an an incorporated and unincorporated corporation with the same names and the same trustees and the same vestry they're making it so squarely that you know maybe a prudent judge would just say well let the bankruptcy court f- handle that and because they're good at distributing assets yeah. so we'll see what turns out but in either case this is a fairly sneaky and not uh honorable way to go down with the to to settle this issue.
0: And for the record I would like to note that when uh ACNA churches and a lot of this happened before they were actually ACNA churches there is no example of an ACNA church doing this. You know, some set up uh, semi or temporary corporations to put donated funds into um, for a period of time, but nobody uh, tried to hide, protect, or
1: uh, lose the keys to the church. You now, know? the Hail married point here yeah. is, in other words, are they just being silly? Are they being panicky? Well, there is a Hail Mary, which is that they can ask the federal bankruptcy court to look at the neutral principles and the Dennis Cannon issue and have a fresh set of eyes, look at the cases that have been litigated for the Texas Court of Appeals. And this ba- bankruptcy court is not bound to follow what the state courts on this issue have held. The federal bankruptcy court follows its own precedents. So maybe the hope is to relitigate this all over again, but instead of at the state level, but at the US bankruptcy level. And then if, it's, and if it goes against them, they can appeal it to the bankruptcy court of appeals. And if it goes against them there, they can take it up to the Supreme court again.
0: And for it, so, a church, the Episcopal church that has spent $200 million over 20 years fighting in the courts, what's another 5 million to protect 2 million? you know you might be right george you know just toss some more money in it which they did in california many times and it succeeded so we'll have to see what happens but that's the dallas fort worth story still news even though they won at the supreme court level Ugh, frustrating george we're going to move on to albany now Uh, the diocese of albany famous for bishop love who served there for many years uh it was eventually made an agreement with uh michael curry that um all things being equal i'm gonna step aside retire uh you don't want me here you made the the uh diocese and people within the diocese able to bring charges against me i'm stepping aside and so we kind of thought albany would be out of the news for a while Albany's back in the news because some people from the same churches that got rid of Bishop Love are trying to change the canons of that church and makes the news here in Anglican Inc. Why would they want to do that George?
1: Well two resolutions are before the Albany uh, Diocese Synod or Convention which meets tomorrow. It's resolution six and seven and I'll just give you a quick summary. I've got them in front of me. It's moved by St. Andrews in Albany and the Reverend Glenn Michaels, plus the layperson from St. Andrews, and it's resolved that the standards for ordination and consecration, paragraphs A and B, be dropped. Paragraph A says to be eligible to be ordained to the diaconate, or priesthood, or consecrated a bishop A person must live within the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman woman, and or be celibate and abstinent. And part two is uh, to be eligible, appointed or licensed to any position of ordained ministry, you must be celibate and abstinent. The second resolution, resolution 7, basically forbids the celebration or blessing of gay marriages by clergy and does not allow gay marriages on church property. So these two resolutions seek to bring the Diocese of Albany into conformance with the Diocese of Central New York, the Diocese of New Jersey, this and that. Now, according to the canons of the Diocese of Albany, the Standing Committee is the Resolutions Committee. It could have basically ruled these out of order, but they allow them to go forward. So what does that mean? So at this point we have these two resolutions before the convention and now we go into analysis. My guess is that the parishes of the clergy that brought these resolutions were the ones who took out Bishop Love. And perhaps the standing committee, this is the way they're hitting back. They're allowing these two people to put up these two these entities to put up their resolutions and they want to have them spectacularly shut down so the diocese of albany convention rather indirectly says we still are who we are or albany's reached the tipping point and now there's a majority who feel that this is we want to be like our neighbors in uh, syracuse mm-hmm. or in vermont so but my i'm more because i don't really see that much of a change in the leadership of the diocese of albany in the standing committee level I think this is allowing the liberals to a step too far so they can have their heads handed to them uh, by the convention votes.
0: Yeah, I think the vast majority of the diocese on the lay and clergy level is still uh, Orthodox to or conservative. And this will fail. And hopefully, it fails miserably enough that uh, uh, these two churches and their sponsors get the idea that
1: they're not going to be choosing the next bishop either. So. <laughs> Well in looking at the budget for the Diocese of Albany mm-hmm. um, they, they've got a tough road to hoe for whoever whom they bring in as a bishop mm-hmm. and, and I know this is vulgar to say but they pay the Bishop of Albany less than most rectors make in the Diocese of Central Florida uh, who has that amount of years in service. Mm-hmm. Albany uh, does not pay very well as a diocese. New York has very high taxes And New York is a very high cost of living. Very high. So, so unless there's somebody within the diocese who's going to step forward to get somebody from, uh, to get an Anglo Catholic from another diocese in the United States, they're willing to have to take a massive pay cut. Um, I hate to say it in that light, but when you're our age, Kevin, and when you're like me, you're still paying your daughter's auto insurance bill, or if you have college bills financial considerations play a part in all of this. No, and they do, and there's a lot of truth to that.
0: But there is some talent in Albany as well, if they want to promote that. Oh yes, yes. I I mean, uh, I I can think of six or seven that would be well qualified to serve as the Bishop of Albany. Albany is a beautiful area. Um, It's kind of being revitalized uh, since the, the death of the Rust Belt and uh, you know it's coming back. They got some tech in the area, and um, they still got a lot of poverty. There's some very poor you know, parts of Albany, but um, and north
1: and northern New York, upstate New York, is yeah. not well. The the gov, governor Cuomo did a great job in killing the economy, and Kathy Hochul. Hoch, I've always heard, seen her name spelled H-O-C-H-U-L, yeah. whether it's Hochul or Hochul. Well, Governor Kathy is cut from the same cloth as Governor Cuomo. So you've got a uh, basically hostile civil environment. You have a hostile Episcopal neighbors and you have a demoralized diocese because there's some people who are, we're gonna follow Bishop Love into the ACNA. And the problem with that is that years ago, the Diocese of Colorado was a conservative stronghold. Very
0: conservative, yes. Bill
1: Fry was the bishop and whatnot. And there was a small small liberal group. Mm -hmm. Diocese of Colorado saw some defections to what was then the AMIA and the defections were enough to throw the diocese at the next election for bishop to the left and the new bishop took it farther and farther left and more and more and more people got squeezed out but when you lose the critical mass of a conservative bloc you're basically, every person who walks away from the diocese gives another bullet for the gun for the Liberals to take out the, the whole. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, I, I pray that they're able to stay strong, stay together because Albany has a prophetic witness for the Episcopal Church. Albany can be a place of renewal and revitalization and growth and it may be the start of a place of revival. Um, but if it but if people get frustrated and walk away and I'm going to do my own thing and be safe well mm-hmm. unless it's, that may not happen then
0: there is truth there um let's go back. I skipped a story on purpose uh, because it's it's gonna be the, this is the the meaty story of today's Anglican unscripted, and that is Gaff corruption God. in India yes no 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 no, no. corruption in india where your daughter's going you may want to warn her before she gets there um gafcon forward slash global south fellowship of anglicans and it's it's a big topic because gafcon's had for all intents and purposes a very bad year uh very bad summer uh the the stories coming out of gafcon um as a uh gathering of provinces and i'm speaking of nigeria and kenya um here has not shown a lot of cohesiveness that gafcon can have a a good concealer um march forward Uh, they can't they're not holding together on women's ordination they're not holding together on um, border crossing so the global south And they had
1: Michael Nazir-Ali, basically turn his back on them.
0: Michael Nazir-Ali deserted Gafcon and went to the Roman Catholic Church. There's another entity out there. It's called the Global global South. And the Global South has been meeting longer than Gafcon. I've been to their South to South encounter in Singapore. It was a lot of fun. And they bring in the the top guns and do some great teaching and uh, preaching and witnessing and a great organization and you and i have you know always said well if gafcon fails is global south the future and yep that's been played around out in the uh, social media areas and facebook and i read some of the comments people want to know first of all what's the difference between gafcon and the global south that's something we'll cover here real quick and then A lot of people say, "Well, it can't really be the future because they are different entities; they serve different purposes." And so, George, I'm going to put this to you: What is the difference between Gafcon and the Golo South?
1: I'm thinking: Do I want to burn any bridges? Don't burn (laughs) bridges; just
0: be nice here. All right.
1: (laughs) Gafcon has taken the battle. To Canterbury right. to the wider Anglican world mm-hmm. to stand for and it stands behind a, a theological document, the Jerusalem Declaration. Members of GAFCON are also members of the Global South Fellowship of Anglican Churches. The chairman of GAFCON, Foley Beach, is, I believe, the treasurer of the he Global has some, South. Yes, some fellowship. type of role within the Global South. Yes, Justin Badi Arama, the Archbishop of South Sudan, is the chairman of the Global South. He's also a member of the GAFCON primates council. So we have some overlap in fact I think all the GAFCON peoples are members of the Global South. That is correct. Global South has additional members from Bangladesh, from Southeast Asia It has more of an Asian component to them, Pakistan. Um, So what's the difference? Well a statement was released that I did not see, and usually I see the most obscure things when they come out, but I didn't catch this. It was dated August 8th, and was from Gaff, it was from the Global South Fellowships, and it was a letter to their leaders saying, we see, and I'll quote a passage, We seek now to clarify the nature and purpose of the new Global South Fellowship of Anglican Churches.
0: And that, it says
1: new? Of the, yes, the new structure. First, is it separatist from the communion? The answer is no. And then explains that our fourfold objective is to guard the faith once delivered, unite in mission and ministry, work for the well being of the Anglican communion, and promote good leadership and accountability across member provinces. So that sounds like the Lambeth conference, doesn't it? It doesn't really say anything. Well, is it the second answer? Question they answer is Is it parallel to the structures of the Anglican Communion? No, we're not. We're an ecclesial grouping of Orthodox provinces within the Anglican Communion that have a conciliar structure. Next question answered Is the GSFA another form of GAFCON? No. GFSA is an ecclesial body, uh, whereas GAFCON has. Uh, well, they don't really go on to define GAFCON, but Global South Fellowship relates to GAFCON the way it relates to the EFAC, Anglican Relief and Development, the Communion Partners in the Episcopal Church, the uh, Church of England Evangelical Council, SOMA, and others. Is it a regional or a confessing group? And it, they respond, maybe. Uh, we started out as a regional group, but we now have a common Fundamental Declaration of Doctrine derived from the 39 Articles, the Book of Common Prayer, and the Ordinal. Okay, now are they saying they're not then Anglo-Catholics, because Anglo-Catholics may not want to jump on board the 39 Articles the way an Evangelical would. So, what... I I won't read it all to you. Um, It doesn't seek to supplant provinces. Will the new Afghan structure encourage splintering within a province? No. Um, so what does that mean? They're not going to be sponsoring any new Anglican churches in North America, whether it be for Britain, Brazil, Canada, whatever, where, whatever you may. Okay, so you can't. I can't look like the- I have leprosy, don't I? I, 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 I think. Look, well, basically.
0: yeah, you're camp, you can The the speed connection between our our. Uh cameras is a little different. It looks like it cleared up a little bit but so they would never offer depot. Correct. They they would never say uh, we know that this church is having a bad time
1: (laughs) under the Episcopal Church. We'll offer you a little protection. They They don't do that. But but again this is a change because remember when South Carolina under Mark Lawrence withdrew from the Episcopal Church, they they appealed to the Global South for oversight and it was Mm -hmm. taken up. Now they're not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. So What's the difference between GAFCON and, the, a- and uh, the Global South Fellowship? The Global South Fellowship seeks to accommodate and recognize the brokenness of the communion but work within its parameters. GAFCON seeks to reform and renew and those are two different objectives. Yeah, One is and- to go along and get along and the other is to change and raise things up to a new place.
0: And there's a difference. One has completely given up on Canterbury. One still wants to work with Canterbury or the sea of Canterbury. And that's the big difference here. GAFCON, you know, up till nine, <laughs> a year ago, kind of had that ability and had that um, briskness to have influence in the communion. Mm-hmm. Um, and canterbury had to take notice and had to respond and had to uh, be in uh, almost constant communication with archbishop foley mm-hmm. you know it, it it just had to work that way because gafcon was doing stuff and they were working together and they respect each other and uh they would go out of the way for each other the global south is a little different they they want that influence of the church of england of the sea of canterbury of the ACC to continue to work within their provinces. You know, they know that there's money there, there's influence there. They know that it's better, or they feel that it's better. I don't know if they know that it's better. They feel that it's better to stick it out with Canterbury.
1: Yeah, and let me just compare. We read, I read to you the objectives of the Global South Fellowship. Justin Welby published a letter on the Lambeth Conference website for his objectives for the Lambeth Conference evangelism witness and mission persecution of the church and support globally climate change impact of science and technology reconciliation and peace building prayer and the growth of religious community and a response to the pandemic um there's very little different at the lambeth conference from the global south fellowships aims and i hate to say this kevin but this Lambeth Conference is looking like a real snooze to me. No, like zeitgeist
0: it, It's the Spirit of the Age Conference. Come here and we will talk about everything to do with the spirit of the age because we are culture. We are not church. Yeah, I agree.
1: Now, a recent biography of uh, Peter Akinola has uh, been published and I've been given a copy and I'm going to review it when I get a chance to read <laughs> Good it. Good time. Fully. I know it's Well, one of the things that comes out quite clearly is that Men do make history.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If there was not a Peter Akinola, there would not be a Gafka. Um The quality of leaders, Henry Arambi, Peter Akinola, and his and fellow, yeah. Greg Venables.
0: Yeah.
1: It was a unique, t- uh, Bob Duncan, it was a unique time, a unique place. Now there are some leaders of that caliber in standing today and I would offer Foley Beach as being one. Mm-hmm but we're not seeing the, the full varsity team playing on the field right now and we yeah, Wel- well and Welby w- and see michael curry is not the villain that exercises people the way Kath and Jeffrey shory did they were lucky to have her as the villain she was so good at that mm-hmm. and they were lucky to have rowan williams because he tried to basically browbeat and he had great eyebrows to do it well, Welby is such a sponge. It's like fighting in a paper bag. Um, he doesn't stand for anything other than peace, peace, peace. Um, he's trying to do the Anglican Union what he's done to the House of Bishops, the College of Bishops, the Church of England, homogenize it, make unity and uh, the mantra, a safe pair of hands, the motto of Anglicanism rather than the faith once delivered by the saints.
0: And that's kind of what's in my mind very interesting is who is gonna sit at the table here and play and plan the long game you know church politics is not about today's victory uh, or short victories or uh, you know having considered meetings here once once in a while it's about the long game of the kingdom God's about the long game why can't the church be about the long game and Gafcon did really well for nine years, ten years, nine, ten years. Can the Global South play the long game? Or, you know, is it better to, to stick with Canterbury in the long game? Or is it better in the long game to uh, not stick with Canterbury?
1: I mean, well, I'll, I'll offer an opinion. And oh, it's that's as what as we do here, George. <laughs> because these aren't facts, folks. They're just George's pontificating. Yeah. The early success of Gafcon was that they overcame cultural distrust. Mm -hmm. Um, Global South Fellowship has a press operation out of Cairo, out of Singapore, that might as well not exist.
0: Never hear from them.
1: Its worldview is very, um, how should I put this? they don't view the importance of communications the way GAFCON did early on. Mm-hmm. GAFCON early on was served by top, top tier a Norwegian, uh, Arnie Feldstedt, oh, gotcha. uh, who just yeah. passed away years ago, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Russell Powell from Sydney, um, Andrew Gross in recent years from the ACNA, you had people who understood how to communicate in a mass market and media who could talk to the secular press and provide avenues to excite the people in the pews about what they're doing. All of those people I've just mentioned have passed from the scenes both from GAFCON and the Global South Fellowship so that uh, there there's not a knowledge of the communication players across the communion uh, within the within the conservative circles or they don't trust people who they don't already know and the result has been a death of the narrative of the purpose of the Global South Fellowship or of GAFCON we just have to go along to get along now in a small way Anglican Inc tries to fill this gap um, and we do a pretty good job considering that we don't get any money for our efforts and we put out as many stories, original work as the Anglican Community News Service or the ENS does. We do. But there's no sense of we need to communicate. We need to bring up our game uh, because in the cultures of which they're coming, Singapore and Africa and Asia, the media is not viewed as being a tool, it's just as an as an afterthought. Now that's my perspective, and I'm okay. someone who's been in the media for twenty five years. But the Welby is very good at the media game because he's like Mel Torme, the Velmet Fog. He just well, they have the use... church house. I mean they, they have a, they have a staff of people. And one of the things they did is they hired up, they hired from the secular press, the best Mm -hmm. church reporters. Mm -hmm. So they brought the wolves in to guard the flock. And Mm -hmm. so now, you know, I had this story about Armenia, of the Armenian government spokesman imploring Welby to intervene in the Azerbaijani-Armenian war. And I sent off a press query and it took a week to respond. Well, thank you for responding. It was a good answer and I've got a story on that. But in the olden days, I get a response within an hour and there wasn't a sense of how to sort of, um, for those with a long memory, Jim Rosenthal used to be the spokesman for the Anglican Consultative Council and for Lambeth Palace. Mm -hmm. And he was the best one at this job I've ever encountered. Now, he bamboozled me a few dozen times. But the point is, this was a guy with real talent. And since then, they've come back, they've followed up with basically no talent hacks. And I hate to use that phrase, but they really are.
0: I mean, at a certain point, you know, the level of communication we used to have amongst all press offices, that's gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the diocesan level, at the province level, at the Anglican Communion, Church of England level, You know, this is the day of communication where uh, people have instant information. There is no instant information within the Anglican Communion anymore.
1: 20 uh, I've been invited twice to come to Anglican ACNA uh, provincial assemblies Mm -hmm. to give little talks to their communications officers on how to capture the attention of the press and there are always wonderful sessions and I said this is how you get your story out this is how you get the local newspapers involved this is all this and that and there's never any follow-through because as I look at it why is this It's because the money isn't there the one exception of course is Suzanne Gill from the Diocese of Fort Worth and you would think that Fort Worth has an outsized position in the ACNA world Well, the reason why is that they have such a good press officer Mm -hmm. communications officer Um, when Peter Frank was the communications officer for Bob Duncan's Pittsburgh had an outsized influence absolutely yeah so the person that you have doing this work is so vital and instead money is used for other efforts and
0: well, let's move on with some more stories, George. We're what, like 45 minutes in and we've only talked about a few things. Let's talk about mandatory retirement.
1: Yes, <laughs> I actually, I am thrilled by this uh, story because, well, self-interest. Self-interest. <laughs> well, the Diocese
0: I, of- well, I was gonna say Irving Province has to some degree a retirement age. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church has been playing with this. The Episcopal Church um, may in the future be playing with this. But the biggest problem is, George, people are living longer. Mm-hmm. You know, 50 years ago, you know, people were living into their mid-60s and 70s. Now we're uh, we're, we're approaching our mid-80s. Uh, for some of us, very unlucky people will go longer. Well, what does the church do? We've we, we got pensions for these people, but... We, we got a body of people that are still able to work. Do we make them
1: work? The Episcopal Church right now has a 72 year old, 72 is the mandatory retirement age. Yeah. Um, well, and I believe it's, it's 65 in uh, Nigeria. Uh, the Church of South India is having a fight because they want to raise it from 65 to 72, mm-hmm. I believe. But all the, this is all an issue. And the reason why? Well, just as Social Security was set up to receive benefits at sixty-five, when most people died before they were sixty-five, now our generation, Kevin, I think is now sixty-seven, and for my children it will probably be seventy-five. Mm-hmm. Um, the Diocese of Melbourne is taking this issue head-on. They're going. They have a resolution before the synod to study abolishing mandatory retirement age for parish clergy. Wouldn't apply to bishops. But if you, if your brain is working, if you have energy, if you're not, if you're not Joe Biden, uh, (laughs) I hate to say that because I don't want to interject politics, but if you're you're not past it, you should should be able to continue working in your parish uh, until you no longer uh, wish to, you were able to wish to retire. And this was presented by raising several points. One, that when the retirement ages were set up in many cases they were set up generations ago when the standard of when life expectancy was much lower. Second, it may be illegal under the uh, Equalities Acts or the civil or the uh, or the various incarnations of those across the world to discriminate based on age. So Melbourne is exploring just junking them all together. So if you've got your if you're Maxed out your pension at 65 or 62 or whatever, and you want to go, you can go. But if you are but if in the, in the Episcopal Church, the average Ordinance is in their high forties or their fifties, and so they're only going to get 10, 15 years before they're forced to retire, maybe 20 at the very most. And that's not a full pension. But if they're competent and able and willing to work till they're 80 and they start at 50, that postpones the draw on the pension plan, and also provides for clergy in a church that's running out of clergy. So I, I, I don't ever wanna retire personally, because I love what I do. I can't see not doing this every day, being a parish priest. Um,
0: yeah, we. this is a long time ago. We had an interim for about four months. This is in the mid-90s. I'm not going to mention his name. I don't want to uh, embarrass him or his family or the church. But he was above the mandatory age. But he was temporary. And the bishop agreed and he agreed and all was working well. Until the four-hour Christmas sermon. (laughs) I don't know what happened. He, He didn't want to stop. He was having a great time. And uh, shortly after that, um, he did retire. But, uh, you know, there are people who clearly are aging out. And you mentioned uh, Biden, uh, who are not functioning at a, a, a high enough level for the office they're in. And I think I've met priests who, you know, I would say, Ugh, There has to be more than just the, it's your decision standard.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there needs to be, just as you need medical and psychiatric evaluations to get in, the priesthood or to become a bishop and all this Mm -hmm. and that. Perhaps, and there are a lot of crazy priests out there, perhaps we could have some sort of uh, nicely named test. But (laughs) for instance, I have uh, uh, two deacons, one's in their 80s and one's in their 70s, and they both work full time. Yeah. Uh, I have an assisting priest, Father Les. He's been seconded to take care of uh, two little parishes in the Diocese of Florida. So he runs between here and there. Uh, on Sunday mornings, he's in his 80s. And he is as fit and strong and with it as I am. Jokes aside, he he, he really should have his own parish yeah. because the strength and you know his his, his, uh, abilities and when you have uh, so many churches that need clergy especially in rural areas and i I just think it's a waste of resources to put these people out to pasture when they can still be of use now yes of course well we need young people to appeal to young people yes that's true we still should make new priests but why throw out things that are working
0: a perfect example is queen elizabeth Mm -hmm. okay serve she's almost 95 now maybe she is 95 right around and she's serving well she's got the faculties bodies you know i saw her using a cane the other day but you know wow you know i she is more up and at him than i am most days because that's the office she's been called to and she has served it so well. So yes, there are examples of people who can do this, the same job for a long, long time. So let me check out the next story. Uh, we still got a couple here. Oh, this is my favorite. I'm not dead yet.
1: Bring out your one no imprints. i'm not dead what nothing is you know i'm not dead yeah he says he's not dead yes he is i'm not
0: he isn't well he will be soon he's very ill i'm getting better <laughs>
1: i'm getting better <laughs> i'm getting better
0: <laughs> if you've ever seen Mate pythons the holy grail the opening scene um where clearly it was a a throwback to the plague the black plague in in europe Uh, shows one of the main characters pushing a wheelbarrow collecting the dead and one of the main characters has a uh what he hopes he will convince the wheelbarrow holder is another dead person to take with him today and the famous scene is i'm not dead yet oh yes you are no i'm getting better (laughs) i would play it but i get a copyright violation I'll, i'll see if i can fit it in here and from time to time social media has declared people dead who have not quite dead are not dead yet and one of them is Archbishop Tutu from South Africa
1: yes yeah, social media has been abuzz with stories and there have even been obituaries printed based on these social media reports that Desmond Tutu the Nobel laureate and former Archbishop of Cape Town has died uh, well the Bishop of Johannesburg Steve Moreo I said, he's not dead. I just yeah, talked I to him. He's moving. <laughs> he's breathing. He's in his mid-90s, but he's still with us. But the thing, the hit, the, it, the issue isn't so much whether Justin Tutu is dead or not. It's rather when real fake news, meaning the people who wrote this knew this was to be fake yeah, uh, because it originated on a spoof website, sort of like the Babylon Bee or something, but something akin to that in South Africa. Mm. And it just got picked up by news outlets who couldn't tell it was a joke. So it's, I mean, it, it just speaks to the standards of media and journalism these days. Well, that no, it
0: does. And I remember one of the most famous cases that I can think of, of a person who was declared dead like three or four times um, before he was actually dead was Bob Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob Hope, um, somebody in the LA Times... Uh, accidentally re- ran his obituary or ran his there they keep stories of old people on back to celebrate their life when they do die and somehow it got run in the, the LA Times that he had died and that story would just not die <laughs> it just he's, he's being interviewed on Johnny Carson or whatever you know I'm still alive alive live but you know once it gets out there it, it's very hard to prove to people that you're alive Jesus mm. had the same problem so all right I think that's all our stories I right. know no more in corruption. Yeah, corruption let your daughter report on that later well uh, we t- kind of alluded to Lamba 2022 20, 20, already that was gonna be a separate story but we covered it I think Yeah, you it know, it's gonna be so. very it's gonna be very hard to raise money to go to this type of conference you know
1: very hard to go to this type of
0: conference. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't want to sit through any of these things.
1: like freshman orientation all over again in college. Oh, my gosh. Without right. the beard.
0: So I, I, I'm calling it into the show. I'm Kevin Coulson.
1: And I'm George Conger. And you've been watching episode 694 of Anglican Unscripted.